Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com, hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. My name is Greg Mahochko, and uh, joining me, the other member of the firm, is uh, Haas Reuter. Haas, good to talk with you again, sir. As always, good to be talking with you as well. We're in game week. Game week, it, it's uh, it's hard to believe it's finally here, but uh, I, everybody's been ready for this game week since the end of November. So, you know, all we have is really, if you're listening to this on Monday, you have six more days, five more days, five, six. Anyway, you have less than a week uh, until Husker football. I mean, everybody counts it different. Depends on if you count Monday or don't count Monday. So uh, less than a week until Husker football returns, and uh, we have – just two editions of the cross-examination left. Of course, we all know we're saving our fearless leader, uh, John Johnston, till later in the week just to get you properly amped up for kickoff. But we're joined this time around by Andy Ketterson. Andy has been with Coronation for, uh, well, longer than I've been there, uh, and, and so that makes him one of the elder statesmen. Uh, Andy, welcome to the show. Your first time ever using Skype and your first appearance, uh, your debut uh, on the Five Heart Podcast. Welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it, and, and looking forward to downloading Skype as well. <laughs> and uh, if I remember what you know, we we talk. Of course, uh, everybody's <laughs> part of the uh, uh, coordination Slack chat room. So you 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 just put a, a, a daughter into college, so you're going to be using Skype to to talk with your daughter frequently, correct? Yeah, pa- Possibly. The, the good news is we only put her in college out in Fremont, so she's only about 30 or 40 minutes away. And and, and believe me, she knows how to text message, so she stays in touch. <laughs> she's uh, already sent me a few messages out there. She seems to be having fun with it. Well, that's excellent, excellent. We are going to uh, kind of dive right into the cross-examination, find out a little bit about you, and then we've got some Husker news and notes uh, and you know some press conference talk and some happenings from the weekend. Uh, so excited to dive into all of it. Our very first question, Andy, is: Are you a Nebraska native? I am not. I moved here in 1977 when I was in eighth grade, and I lived four places before that. I was born in Florida, left there when I was two, so I have zero memories of Florida and. God knows nothing but hatred for the Florida Gators and the Seminoles, especially the Hurricanes. Um, after I'd been here about 20, 25 years, I think at that point, people finally started you know, giving me sort of semi-native status. I was wondering if, you know, after a certain amount of time being any place, if, if you're, you know, maybe even if you're not born there, but if, if they, you know, start to accept you. I, I don't know if I've ever been in any one place long enough to be accepted but uh i like you said after 20 or so years uh <laughs> they, they, they started to treat you like one of their own 
Exactly. Once I'd lived here three times as long as any as the other four places combined, I I think it was okay. I get I get to wear my Nebraska hat and not be called a faker. What was the moment that uh, made you a Nebraska fan, Andy? Um, you know, I I went to Nebraska. I yeah, I went to high school here for four years. I was still pretty much a Georgia fan through those years. Um, and even after my freshman year in college, probably I was, you know, I was falling in love a little bit. It was still more Georgia. And I think the moment that probably did it for that really started sending me down that river was in my freshman year when we played Penn state. And that was the, uh, you know, the out of bounds, uh, Mm -hmm. play with, you know, I, uh, God, I can't even remember the receiver's name, but um, I think it was a hostile or somebody like it. I can't even remember the quarterback. I mean, this is how old I am, and most Nebraska fans will just, you know, my age will spit that out right away with venom in their voice. But I do remember just being as ready as everybody else to start flipping some furniture around the room. And yeah, by the time I around, I admit, you know, you're George, you're 1A or number two now. All right. That, uh, oh, man. Was it, it was Blackledge. 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 Because Black I'm a Chiefs fan, unfortunately. <laughs> we all have our cross that to bear. Was, that was him, Greg. You got that that list of questions. I uh, I misplaced. I do have that list of out. questions, yeah. uh, and I'm going yeah. I'm, I'm so to send it to you. To memory. I'm going to send it to you right now. Um, so, Andy, yeah. we, we as part of the uh, getting to know you process, Andy, we always like to ask you know something. And, and, you know, if, if you are a spy or something like that, you can obviously uh, pass on this question. But what is your day job? Uh, uh, I, I'm a first mortgage underwriter for Pentagon Federal Credit. At least that's what the CIA told me to say. Nice, nice cover. Um, and it really helps to, uh, you know, ha- have that little CIA card you can pull out and be like this is this, <laughs> this know, is the witness protection program i'm in more boring one. yeah uh so <laughs> so you, you got to nebraska in eighth grade took a few years the the conversion finally happened uh in that time that you've been you know a husker fan do you have an all-time favorite husker uh, uh all, just one all-time favorite player I mean, we, we get a few. We you know some of our uh, cohorts over at Coronation have have listed. You know, it, it's tough to to narrow it down to just one. So if you've got more than one, you know, certainly you can fire off as many names as you feel comfortable. Okay, I I'd say there's a there, there's a few. Broderick Thomas was probably one of the guys I first just really enjoyed when I was actually down there and in college because he it, it was he was such a change from what the typical Nebraska fan liked out of their player. You know, they, they liked the guy that, that walked into the end zone, handed the ball to the ref, didn't celebrate at all. And, 
here, here was the guy, you know, with the keys to our house, <laughs> talk before Oklahoma and never shy about the play on the field. And with him, you know, it, it wasn't really a taunting thing. It, I just got the feeling he just genuinely loved to play the games. So I, I always enjoyed watching him quite a bit. And because he backed it up again and again, um, you know, you, you start going through the nineties. Well, Oh, one, one other couple of other guys in the eighties. I, I had a lot of fun watching Rod, Rod Smith and Brian Davis because we actually, uh, they were part of a group where we played a lot of, lot of uh, pool down at the Sandies together and they were big guys as well as great players. So that was kind of fun. Um, when he got in, the 90s, gosh, yeah, there, there were just so many to like um, in that team. Like the Tommy Frazier's leadership always stuck with me. Back-wise, it, we, I never felt like we had guys that just stood out and dominated. I get a lot of crap for this, but I, I love Eric Kramerbeck, and I, I like to bring up the notion every now and again that, you know, we might have lost even fewer than the two or three games we did lose if he was a quarterback in, say, 94, 95. And I was just flat out one of the toughest players we ever had at Nebraska. And that's saying something, but the the abuse of, you know, kind of being a 20 carry, 20, 25 carry running back under center, it, it just amazed me sometimes that he could keep getting back up. But there, that's my that, that's my way too long short answer. I, I, could, I could go on first on trying to pick favorite Huskers. No, it's a it's a tough question because there's so yeah, many. You know, is. <laughs> you know, like there there are some guys who just you, you know maybe weren't the best player, but you just like the way they played, like Jack Gangwish a few years ago oh, in yeah. 2015. He just brought it every day, even though he wasn't the most talented guy, and you just got to respect the hell out of that. And that didn't you know, we don't didn't even get to say Burkhead or Janovich or guys mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, one guy who was a star, another guy who, you know, the homegrown guy that just did ass and ran people over all night long. Oh, yeah. Those guys become folk heroes. All right. Do you have a favorite Nebraska, you know, it could be football game, basketball, baseball, volleyball, just Husker sports moment in general? That is the e- That's the easiest one. Uh <laughs> Jill and Jill did like a little like interview a few like a couple years ago, and that's the game that pops to mind is I it's I believe it's the ninety two Colorado game where you know we'd just been putting up with several years of Colorado finding ways to beat us late, doing it with their mouths running the whole time, you know Bill McCartney's pious nonsense, and <laughs> if I. It, uh, can you can you tell how much I hated them? Uh, and then I think what the final score of that game was something like fifty-two to seven. We just ran all over them. They, they and when we got there, we got there a little late, and we're kind of under where the ambulance was. And Colorado was was back on that side of the field with their backs to us. Just had so, so much fun watching Coy Detmer run for his life tricks on me but I swear to God there was one where he got the snap we were through the line before he took two steps and he just turned with his head facing us and threw it back over his head so they wouldn't hit him again 
that sticks out in that game is the one where I think it was Dion figures uh, for Colorado. Frazier does a keeper left, comes up field, probably five, 10 yards, something like that. Figures just puts a murderous hit on him. Frazier flat on his ass. He right to his feet and he's face to face with figures, just, just letting him have it. And they're, they're just face mask to face, face mask, drawing at each other. And the crowd's going crazy because that was for, you know that was the first moment when Colorado had gotten on our roll you know and we'd just been getting pounded by Miami getting beaten by them and that kind of that was kind of the uh, the way I saw it was Nebraska announcing to the college football world we're not taking anybody's crap anymore so that yeah in any sport any any game that's that's been my favorite one to be a part of. And oh, and I thought there was I thought there was going to be a murder after that game because the fan, you know, the normally nice Nebraska fans stormed the field and actually formed like a human tunnel that Colorado had to walk through on the field to go back to their locker room, and are just screaming at him, letting him have it. And I actually wanted to thank Colorado for not starting what would have been like one of the ugliest moments in history in Lincoln because I we were watching that going this might not end well but Colorado just kept their heads down and headed to the locker room so so the so the beautiful story doesn't end with somebody you know going to jail or getting killed on the field hmm. yeah I uh I watched that game in its entirety on YouTube just about six weeks ago and uh, <laughs> that might be the angriest I've ever seen Memorial Stadium. It was beautiful. <laughs> it really was, and, they, and we really were. I was at the uh, infamous Black Friday game in 2015 against Iowa when Armstrong had the uh, Black Friday special four interceptions with the doorbuster pick six, if you guys recall. And yes. uh, oh, that well. was one angry crowd before <laughs> kickoff. And, I mean, we were people were merciless towards the Iowa fans. Shitty weather and I was thinking if we pull this thing off today, this is going to be one of the, you know, one of my favorite games ever. Yeah, the four interceptions happen, and I just freeze my ass off outside for four hours. So, <laughs> did not end up with a happy ending. <laughs> not at all. So we usually ask a question that I, I don't know because we're within a week of, of the season. I, I'm I'm hesitant to ask it. Haas, the the coach's question. Should we should we Lock oh up. yeah oh yeah we yes this provides yes okay all right so here we go okay now i'm scared no no it, it <laughs> th- I, th- I think this is an opportunity for you to either rant or or lift up uh, a coach who i'll just ask the question and okay <laughs> so you know between osborne and now scott frost there have been four head coaches at university of nebraska all of which have been fired frank solich uh, Bill Callahan, Bo Pelini, Mike Riley. Of those four, which do you most wish would have been successful? Um, that's a tough one. Um, obviously not Callahan or Riley. Um, I I could go either way. I don't think I don't think Frank was destined to be successful. Um, but I wish he, he he's one where I thought he was a nice enough guy. I wish he would have been. Uh, Bo, you know, Bo, if we, if people don't remember, it wasn't this strong because he wasn't, you know, a former Nebraska quarterback. But what's going on with this staff is it's just a much stronger version of what happened when Bo was hired because they loved him as a coach here. You know, fiery, the defense has played well. Then he went down, LSU's defense won 
you know, or they won a national championship in LSU with him as the defensive coordinator. And it just seemed like, you know, Osborne liked him. He picked him over Turner Gill for crying out loud. And I really think that if he could have found some success, you know, and that would have started with a little, uh, you know, peace in his own heart or, <laughs> or something. Uh, I really think that that would could have been a love affair for years and years to come. It, it, it just wasn't meant to be. Um, but I, but that could have been fun. But you know, the, the thing is now that we've got Frost come, you know, coming in, they say everything happens for a reason, and maybe all the dominoes have fallen, you know, for this moment. Or at least that's that's what I'm choosing to believe, and I'm sticking. But yeah, it would it would be one of those. It would be one of those two. It would have been Solich or Polini. You know, you look at what Alabama went through from the time Bear Bryant retired until they hired. Saban, like else between you know Alabama and Nebraska over the course of time, are pretty uh, pretty stark. You know, very oh. similar. It's just it feels good. There's no political infighting within the fan base anymore. No, no one's wanting their narrative to be right. And I was just going to add, maintain the status quo. What he had already. I always felt that. Much like uh, Callahan, he kind of hung himself out to dry with the defensive coordinator that just wasn't up to the task, and he hired him right at the point where he wanted, where he jumped over and wanted to get more involved in the offense with Beck. When Papuchas, mm-hmm. uh, to me, was a guy who just he had that same kind of wide-eyed look that Frank would get on the sideline at the wrong time. Carroll at Southern High seemed like he's wide-eyed. And here here was Bo going to help a guy who'd had it, you know, maybe it was more Mangino not with a pretty good track record from Kansas, and he really needed to be one of a lot closer, or just hiring a guy with experience to do the job. And I just yeah, I just thought that handcuffed him. He should have gone out and hired a top-flight D.C. when Carl left for uh, the Florida Atlantic job. Yeah, people forget Carl was like in that whole section of those four coaches there. Carl, I think Carl was like easily the best defensive coordinator in that era. And second place isn't that close for as much yeah, fun as we yeah. like to have with Carl. You know? Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, it's like who else? You know, for a couple of years, you know, yeah. Frank. But that counts more towards Osborne than who else? Craig Bowl, Kevin Cosgrove, Mark right. Banker. Than our good friend uh, Bob Diaco. Oh, good God! There's no reasonable reason, Bob Diaco. Yeah, there's a, I'm starting. I'm starting fake trophy games with a guy who's not that interested in Bob Diaco. <laughs> oh, I read that article the other night, and I had forgotten <laughs> about just how gold that was. Oh my yeah. God! And he paid for it himself. That's the greatest part of it. And then, and then it disappeared <laughs> off yeah. the field. Frost had zero interest in it. Yeah, Central Florida just left it sitting there, and apparently uh, Connecticut <laughs> didn't feel like they should take it back. So it was on the—I guess it just got left on the field, and then no one ever figured out who, who finally took it, which was a perfect ending to that. Start scouring eBay for that thing being yeah. a rock. Because <laughs> who would sell it? Right, they didn't really own it. <laughs> what do you got next, Greg? I think the final question in the cross-examination is another easy one, uh, lobbing up a softball, and that's just, uh, Andy, how did you come to write for Coronation? That was actually 
a kind of a funny story. Like Barking Carnival is the Texas site now in SB Nation, but jeez, uh, this is this is like many years back. I'm trying to think how many years ago this has to be now. Maybe you know eight or nine, but would. Whenever uh, they had their own thing going, and they decided they wanted to start uh, getting some uh, other schools involved, and they set it set it up and everything. And after or no, before the uh, okay, that now I can remember the year. It was before the big tw- or big twelve title game against Texas, the the Indomitian Sioux one second left field goal game. Uh, I did a prediction. They, you know, whenever they talked about Nebraska, I'd jump in on their comments board, and I was not, you know, not obnoxious enough to where they'd respond to me, and we'd go back and forth a little and have fun with. It. And I did this really long prediction, and not being anything that like, you know, Texas been on can sue so much havoc on that he'll have some eleven sacks. Uh, Nebraska won't move anywhere with Zach Lee, and I think I predicted the final score of the game to be like 12-11 or something, and it was 13, you know, then it's 13-12, and Sue has like seven or eight sacks or whatever, so then I got an email like a few days later saying, hey, Nebraska addiction, have you ever done this? Would you be interested in writing? And they called, God, what was it? They called it Better Off Red was the Nebraska site, and then one day, I think it, maybe it was you know a year or two, that I did that, and then we got this email from John saying that they like it was a standing from John and the guy from Texas at the same time talking about how they were getting out of that, and we were going to uh, uh, you know we're going to be part of this corn nation thing. And I remember one of the other guys said something. Okay, I, I'm not really sure I understand all of the legal mumbo jumbo here. But it doesn't matter because we're not getting paid anyway. But are are you trading us to Corn Nation? Is is that what <laughs> I'm seeing? And and uh, it jumped in like the summer before and been doing it ever since. I think the first thing we did it was like we were joining the Big Ten and or something like that. And we did uh, like a wild hunting like the county only. We found a different Nebraska Big Ten number. So you've been part of the team for anybody there? Yeah. Uh, so you've, been, you've been part of the yeah, team for for uh, you know a good several years now, and, and uh, of course, uh, staff changes you know are, are made regularly. Uh, you know, people come in and out, and uh, we just learned uh, earlier, you know, a couple weeks back or whatever, that Ty, our volleyball guru, is going to be leaving at the end of the season. Um, what what is your favorite part about you know your your contributions to coordination? Um, for me, I could sit there and and wallow around in stats and depth charts and home and away records and all that. But what John's really give, given me the freedom to do is just go off and have fun with some of the humorous stuff. Uh, you know, I like for example when right right after we hired Frost, I don't know why I got the idea to compare. The, like the Huskers to the Karate Kid and assign <laughs> people different. If the Huskers were the Karate Kid movie, here's who'd play who. And and, and eat. one thing I used to do each year, I, I kind of got away from it where I was only probably maybe doing two or three pieces a year there 
for a few years as I had both my kids in hockey and I was coaching a lot and on the road a bunch and I'm kind of getting back in with, with both feet now for the past few months and I intend to keep them there this time. But, you know, just stuff like one thing I did every year was pick a funny movie out, pick a bunch of dumb quotes and then compare it and then find it for each game of the previous season do a season and a view with each quote this year because of the last season i went to a much darker place with the walking dead <laughs> it wasn't uh, there weren't a lot of humorous quotes but it was a really good venting session i had a couple people in the comments go you know why in hell would you bring this back up <laughs> But for some other people, it, it was you know it was like uh, they were saying, "God, I was glad to just kind of unleash again." It was, that really that really made me feel good just to let some of that rage out. And I actually got a, a couple of emails from people, and that, that had never happened before. Going, "Hey, great article!" Um, but that's the thing is like just you know anybody can be the World Herald and give you a game recap and. You know, throw throw your average per carry and why he should be playing and he shouldn't. And, and John gives me the leash to just go out there and complete idiot and asshole and try to make people laugh at times, and and I enjoy that. And that you know, especially last last year, and you know, you can pick and choose. You know, some seasons out of the last uh, ten or fifteen years, we need to find those reasons to laugh. It, it's cathartic in a lot of ways. Uh, so, what what you do. And bringing that humor element, uh, I think a lot of people really appreciate it. So uh, I, I tip my cap to you, sir. No, I, I appreciate it. But the secret to me is if I can make myself giggle, then hopefully a few other people will laugh too. <laughs> I've thrown away articles where I'm like, I'm writing it. It seems funny, and I'm just not laughing. And I'm like, well, if I can't even find it funny myself, I really doubt anybody else will. Well, let's turn the page then and focus on some of the – news and and information that we learned over the weekend as we're recording this it's uh, sunday night so we've had you know a weekend of press conferences and you know we're turning the page now it's game week so we've learned a lot of things in the last few days uh i I don't know they're probably different uh, schools of thought i think one of the biggest things that we learned uh, outside of the quarterback race and, and who was named the starter, uh, was we learned that uh, Trey Bryant had to retire uh, from from football because of, of the condition of his knees. And he wrote a really uh, eloquent uh, statement that he released, I guess, uh, through you know Twitter or social media, uh, saying that he was unable to uh, perform at the level that he was used to. And so because of that, he had to retire. Yeah, Trey Bryant's retirement, it's its disappointing. I, I mean, it's not disappointing. Like, I'm not pissed that he's retiring because he has bad knees. But he was such an explosive player those first couple of games in uh, 2017 against Arkansas State and Oregon. And you saw it in flashes of it in 16 as well, like that touchdown catching run he had on fourth down against Minnesota. And it just sucks to see a guy with that talent have to hang up the cleats, you know, prematurely. I was going to say the thing that irritated me the most about it, I I didn't think that he was necessarily separated that far from, say, Wilbon and Ozigbo. I thought he got to carry the ball a lot against the two worst defenses we played last year. But to me, that was the big problem 
And I had my problem there is with Mike Riley. It's like I don't hate him as a person, but it really mm-hmm. irritates me when you take a guy with chronic knee problems and have him carry it. I think it was something like 51 times in just over six quarters when you've got two other guys who – and coming out of the last practices, it sounded like he was going to roll with three guys. And if you've got a guy with Bryant's knees, why wouldn't you do that? Um, maybe maybe it happens anyway, but, you know, maybe the knees go bad anyway. But putting that kind of a load on him really seemed to accelerate things. And I'm, I'm still a little ticked off about that. You, know, you, hate, you hate to see a kid like have to have to cut out early because of injuries. I, I agree 100%. I'm ticked off, too, about how Riley managed that because that's just, I mean, there's really no other term for it, but it's almost, you know, abusive in a way just to, you know, saddle that many carries on a guy when you know he's got a knee problem. He missed a lot of practice in the ball camp in 2017. The only, I'm going to sound like Bob Diaco here, and I'm not defending Riley's, you know, decision. <laughs> But the only reasonable reason that I could think of is they knew that, you know, the offense is going to be hard-pressed to do anything in the run game. So they figured, hey, get everything you can out of them right now before that knee goes bad, which if that's the line of thinking, then all those guys should have been drummed out of the business. Hey, guess what? They were, or at least out of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike Riley's the what, – what league is that? that he's coaching San Antonio. And- it's, it is some arena league. Yeah, I think it's Arena or like USFHL, a couple yeah. other letters. No, <laughs> A lot of letters. Yeah, a lot of letters, not a lot of fans. And, <sighs> and you wonder about that because what makes you get, go from being getting a ticket back home to, you know, what was he going to be, the quarterback's coach there? And it just, I mean, I was just picturing like a Barney Cotton roll for him where he's just going to hang out in the office, fetch the occasional pepper jacks for everybody. You know, collect a nice six-figure salary, and then because uh, I never really—I just saw an article saying he, yeah, he's gone to some arena or half-ass league job, and I'm like, what do you do that for? And I, I really wonder what kind of stories behind that. I something tells me he didn't decide. Gosh, I've really been meaning to jump into this little whatever the hell they're doing mm-hmm. kind of type of thing. Yeah, especially going from you know, even though it's Oregon State, but major college football to some startup league that probably isn't going to exist 18 months from now. Well, he could have gone to the XFL. You don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's where Purdue's coach, Jeff Brom, did a little quarterbacking. That's right. They're coming back. He hates me. Vince is bringing it back, everybody. Watch out. Um, So we we learned that, uh, and I I thought it was a really well-done statement by by Trey. And, and, you know, the fact that he he said – you know, he, he said, uh, I can't perform up, up to the level and standard that, that I've set for myself. Um, and, and he's got to think long-term as well. You know, I'm sure as his life goes on, he wants to have kids and then grandkids and want to be able to, you know, just be have, have that normal life. So I, I totally get it. Uh, but what you guys said, you're right, it does suck because not only is it, you know, a young man who's taken out of the game, out of the game he loves, uh, you know, too soon, but when you look at it through the scope of, you know, like Andy said, the kind of overworked, uh, you know, knees for, for somebody who didn't practice as much. And uh, when you have, you know, Mikhail Wilbon and uh, Divino Zigbo on, on the bench as well, it, it it's not something I ever thought about. But, yeah, it, it makes sense. And, and to 
jump on that bandwagon with you guys kind of kind of ticks me off a little bit. So the other news that we got, and maybe I shouldn't say other isn't the only other news that we got, but uh, we did learn. We got what's that? I, I totally cut you off and ruined it. I'm sorry. What'd you say? I missed it. I was just going to say, we got ourselves our quarterback. We got ourselves our quarterback. Take it away, Hoss. Adrian A. Magic Martin. I can't even say that. <laughs> Let's just hope he doesn't specialize in arm punts. Um, <laughs> do, do you think he'll like playing against the way games? Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> Taylor Martinez brought me a lot of entertainment, a lot of big plays, and also aged me by about seven years over the course of his career. So let's talk oh. about Martinez because you know we've we've touched on it here and there over the summer as as the uncertainty continued. Um, Martinez is, has not played. You know, I mean, he he got you know some action in the spring game, but you know that's a scrimmage and there's no contact. But he hasn't been tackled since what 2016. Because he missed all of his yeah, senior year, so sixteen. That, That's right, green jersey. So that I mean, they, I guess that goes to show his potential. But what does that mean for like a, a Tristan? I can never remember Jebia Gibia. What does that mean for Jebia? Thank you. Do you think it was that well, close? Of a, do you think it was that close of a quarterback battle all along, or or do you, or do you think that they kind of always knew? But in in the the Coach Frost fashion, they kind of played it close to the chest. I think it was that close the entire time just because they both bring something they both bring good things to the table as the point guard distributor in this offense with Jebbia with his, you know, passing ability and quick decision making and, you know, his athleticism that a lot of people don't give him credit for. And then Martinez is just such a fluid runner and his passing ability is better than people give him credit for again, just that, you know, Horn Labrum and his throwing shoulder kind of gave people some reservations about his ability to throw the ball. But I think it was close, but at the end of the day, it's the guy that Frost identified almost two years ago as being a perfect fit for his offense. Got him in, you know, to the program. And, you know, they're both freshmen in terms of eligibility, Jebbia being a redshirt freshman, of course, but all things being equal, you go with the guy that you feel is most um, likely to carry out your scheme well and i think you just you hit the nail on the head with as the quarterback who's been identified for the offense but i just got done doing jill's round table on the the death chart and i said i would have been surprised if jebby had gotten it i thought you know I, I very much believe it was close i don't think it was handed to anybody but at the end of the day there were just two things that rang out for me one it if they're both freshmen and this is the guy you've identified is the fit, then why are you going to give all the experience in the first year to the other guy? And secondly, I thought he just was much more the electric player and moved the offense better than Jebby did in the spring game. Jebby may make better decisions, but I believe Martinez is one of those guys that can, I think I said in the article, can turn mistakes into 20-yard gains. And Jebby, did, Jebby is much more mobile than they give him credit for. I, I, what, his senior year, he ran for something like three, four, five hundred yards. So he can he can move around, but Martinez, I think, just has that it factor. Yeah, the, and his running ability being, and no dis, not discrediting Jebby is obviously, but Martinez's running ability is much more dynamic. Like, if you give a guy like Jebby a crease, he's going to pick up a first down. Defense gives a guy like Martinez a crease. 
they're probably giving up a score. Right. And they did. A couple of them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so there's no time like the present. And get him, you know, if he's the guy that we're rolling with, get him the experience, get him out there. So let me hey, take a take a lump or two, and let's yeah, let's go. Let me ask you both this question then, because this was it, honestly, in my opinion, the first off season that we've had a quarterback battle for some time. It seemed like you know after uh, Taylor Martinez was uh, crowned, you know, then we went straight to Tommy Armstrong, and even a year ago when it was Tanner Lee or P.O.B., I think most people kind of had, had a feeling that it was going to be Tanner Lee, you know, named the starter. So in the, the off season, I guess, I don't know, stress factor or, or however you want to phrase it, would you rather have an off season with a, a known, you know, let's say, especially in a situation like this where you have two unknowns, would, would you have rather known, you know, now when we found out, you know, in the, in the you know days or, or week leading up to the first game, or would you have rather that announcement come back in spring? Well, leading up to the, the first game. In, in this particular case, I wanted it leading up to the first week because there's one guy you haven't, you're only going to get a few weeks look at as opposed to direct. You know, check that. Frost is getting his first real look at both of them. And if I'm him, I want to have as long of a look as I can, both the spring and the and the fall camp. Now, of course, of course, my ideal is for you already have your starter coming back and not even have to worry about it. But <laughs> that wasn't in the cards this time. And I think, yeah, uh, I would say, no offense to Tanner Lee, but I think we're all a little happy that that wasn't in the cards this time. So, oh god, I'm yeah. glad he left early. Yeah, I, uh, I. I'm pretty well known as a staunch Tanner Lee defender, but going back through last season as a post-mortem over the summer, watching games I DVR'd, it was evident that, you know, he, he might have been a workout warrior. He could really spin it in practice, but he just wasn't. He's just not a good quarterback. And that, you know, he's got all the tools to be successful, but, you know. Well, let me ask you guys something. Thing. Let me ask you a question real quick. <laughs> tell tell okay. me if this story is true. Somebody said they read it. I never did. There was a rumor that when what he when he was at the combine or something that Jerry Jones was watching, and when it was his turn to throw, said, "Oh, hey guys, here comes the turnover king." Did yep, that is true. Oh my god! Okay, and he, pro- and he promptly threw an interception right after Jerry Jones said that. Oh my god! god. Oh, Uncanny poor guy. Poor guy. But uh. I'm happy that it led up to the first game just from the standpoint of, you know, if you name Martinez a starter, the starter back in at the end of spring ball, you give Tristan Jebbia an opportunity to transfer out. Bingo. Might be a little underhanded, but leading up till after classes start, you ensure that you have your backup, a backup quarterback, you know, who also partook in the quarterback race. That. I have a, I have a, I thinking, I have a thinking on that that goes both ways because yeah, on the one hand, maybe it's a little underhanded that you know the guy's going to be your backup, but you don't tell him, so you want to keep him from transferring. But on the other hand, the guy committed to your program, not committed to your program, unless you don't give me the starting job, then I'm going to leave. So I don't feel that bad about it. If that's no, what, if that's what goes so many on, guys transfer out, commit to coaches, not programs, and you know, right. And nature of the beast of college football. 
So let's uh, move on because the, the depth chart was also released, so we have kind of an idea. Uh, Haas, I want to uh, – this is your time to shine. It's O-line time. All right. Uh, so we have – I'm going I'm to go down uh, the, the offensive line here. Uh, we have uh, Brendan Hymas, left tackle. Gerald Foster, yep. left guard. Cole Conrad. Then we have Tanner Farmer at right guard and Matt Farniak at the right tackle. Um, any surprises in, in that mix that, that uh, jumped out to you, or is that pretty well the, the, the unit that you saw you know, way back when? That's pretty much what I figured it would. the starting five would be. I was leaning, and this is just my own opinion, um, Cole Conrad's body of work at center last season before being replaced by Michael Decker. I, you know, Cole Conrad being at the center position, I have some trepidation about just from the standpoint of we've seen, I'm, I'm trying to say this in the nicest way possible. <laughs> we, we, we've just seen, you know, that he hasn't exactly gotten the job done at various points in his career. But I'm going to attribute a lot of that to a lack of strength and conditioning under the previous staff, as well as some pretty poor technical coaching from Mike Cavanaugh. And so if they've identified him as being the best option we got at center, I'm hopeful that the strength and conditioning, you know, under Zach Duvall and Greg Austin's on-field coaching is going to, you know, turn him into a serviceable player. That being said, I was kind of hopeful that Tanner Farmer would slide over and be the starting center and we'd finally get Bo Wilson into the starting lineup at right guard. When you look at, I mean, this is going to be, or should be, uh, one of the stronger parts of the team because there's a lot of experience there and with what, you know, Greg Austin should have been able to do as we've, you know, the kind of the, the I don't know, the theme or narrative, you can, you know, pick whatever word you like, is that this coaching staff has taken the same clay that was left behind by Riley and his staff and are, are molding it better, getting more out of it. So when you take a, a Greg Austin and the tools that he has at his disposal, I mean, this should be really a, a one of the stronger aspects of the team, correct? Yeah. Uh, when you look at the depth and experience we have at Excuse me. Offensive guard with Gerald Foster and Tanner Farmer starting the better parts of the previous three seasons, or two seasons going into their third. And then a guy like Bo Wilson, who in some situational duty is a short yardage H-back, has shown some good ability. And Brendan Hymas showed a lot of promise last year, despite being a 260-pound true freshman. He more than held his own in the Big Ten. And Matt Farniak was showing some flashes of potential before his injuries last year. Um, there's there's some good, encouraging, you know, depth at, on the offensive line. Depth at the offensive tackle positions, specifically left tackle, worries me a little bit. Um, Brandon Hymas goes down, you know, Christian Gaylord, a pretty unproven commodity despite entering into his fifth year inside the program. Um you, you know, you just don't really know what you have there. On the right side, you got Matt Sichterman, who is a good prospect coming out of Ohio and, you know, has really done well in the weight room under Duval, and by all accounts is, you know, showing out well in practice, but still unproven. So just pray for no injuries. 
You know, we can afford injuries <laughs> at the interior position, but we cannot afford injuries at the offensive tackle positions, especially with how much Frost utilizes offensive tackles and pulling in the run game. Yeah, I, we've got a lot of talent there. I think there's several guys that are there now that were pretty highly ranked recruits. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, nothing's a given, but if we didn't have Kavanaugh there, I got to believe some of these guys would have been all-conference and potentially all-Americans. This guy yeah. was the, this guy was just was like he should have been a defensive coordinator for Callahan just with I think the damage he did just being in town for 3 years. Uh, it, yeah, I'm sorry if I sound a little torqued off, but that was that was the one guy that when you know when it became apparent Remember when Mike Riley was hired and everybody was all excited? Hey, who who's going to Ed Orgeron wants to be on staff? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know who who's going to be his coordinators and all that? And it becomes apparent he's bringing his guys over from Oregon State, and you start reading about him, and and your just heart starts sinking because you see that Bankers' defenses have ranked from fiftieth to a hundred. That Kavanaugh's offensive lines have led the Pac-10 in sacks for the past two or three years, and. And, and I think, you know, what we saw last year was just kind of, well, it was a combination of Kavanaugh's inability to coach his position and then the, all the problems with strength and conditioning. And you just have guys who couldn't play very well and who are getting hurt all the time. And I just believe that goes in the other direction when you replace those two with Zach Duvall and Greg Austin. I, I'm looking for somewhat of it. Maybe they're not going to turn into all of a sudden just being – you know, the old Aaron Graham, Zach Wiegert line or anything like that. But I think we're going to see some improvement. I remember right after they started announcing that, you know, with all the assistant coaches coming in Austin was one of them. I get a text from my buddy I went to school with who's down in Dallas just going, thank God, I've forgotten what a well-blocked running play looks like. I was I was almost more excited about hiring Greg Austin than the actual Scott Frost hire, you know, itself. Just, right. you know, he... he He's been one of the up-and-coming offensive line coaches the past few years, going back to when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles as an assistant O-line coach in 16-17 at UCF. And, um, and I believe – I, I like the fact that he's got a little bit of, you know, the Milt, old Milt Teneper, Barney Cotton, you know, because Barney did use Milt's old stuff, but not exactly he taught it as well as Milt did. But uh, the Milt Teneper – scheme and technique coupled with the Bill Callahan scheme and technique that he played under at Nebraska and uh, pairing those two together. I mean, that's, you can see it on the field that he's using a blend of old Nebraska and the stuff he learned from Callahan stuff. He learned from working for the Eagles organization and he's just a good technical coach. His O lines are technically sound. They're in excellent physical shape, you know, from strength and conditioning and, I think the O line could be a pleasant surprise for us this year. Let's right now, I was just—I was just going to add that you know, having played for Callahan, say what you will about him, but when you look at how things have played out, you know, the Dallas offensive line, what he's done there—that's that's probably the toughest uh, offensive line just year in and year out in the NFL anymore. Yeah, seems Callahan like knows steps, the line. Yeah, it seems like everybody that steps behind that line is going. For 1,600 yards. Let's switch to the other side of the ball. Any – I mean, I'm not going to run down the the depth chart here. Uh, by the way, we did a depth chart roundtable uh, that uh, dropped Sunday night, so you can check that out, coordination.com. 
but were there any surprises? Anything that uh, that jumped out to you as far as the, on the defensive side of things, where um, you know maybe you were su- surprised one way or the other uh, with with positivity or, or maybe disappointment with with how something shook out on the uh, defensive depth chart? Where, where's Breon Dixon? <laughs> that did surprise me, and I'm hoping it's more from he's a situational pass rusher, right? Because that. He showed well in the spring, but I was surprised not to find him on there. Yeah, there's a lot of the same names that I think are just still resonating with us because of the way last season went, and we're seeing those same names out there. So I'm really hoping with the staff that the saying that uh, Scott Frost didn't inherit 4-8 talent, he inherited a 4-8 attitude proves true and that the, and that there is some talent there and they've got it whipped into shape or at least I just want them to be competitive on that side of the ball last year those last three games were, were painful to watch and I think and I really do believe as much as anything they were just com- they were just quitting on their defensive coordinator who was just from many accounts just a complete jackass and you know both both in general and to the players so mm-hmm. maybe maybe having some guys there excited I mean I'm just thinking having some guys that are excited to play for that maybe have something to teach them will be responsible for, you know, a turnaround that can at least get this thing in the 20s instead of the 50s. I don't think that's one of the things I'm really hoping for. uh, You know, what you're saying about having a turnaround from, you know, really liking the guys they play for, you know, the coaches are able to motivate. Eric Shenander, his first year at UCF, had UCF ranked in the top 25 and like nine major defensive statistical categories and man oh man if that could happen this year (laughs) i don't think i think with that offense if that offense is cooking people might have to come to grips with the fact that this defense is not going to be very rested a lot of the times Mm -hmm. and that you know maybe get used to the occasional 52 to 30 score or something like that and Oh my God! Well, they ran right back up, up, up and down the field and scored on us like South Florida did to Central Florida. But that just may, may be the scheme we're in uh, when you run into a team with a pretty solid offense and you're going bang, bang, bang and scoring on them in a minute three, and your guys just came out off the field. Uh, they're going to be a little gas. So I, I really believe that you know I don't think it happens right away, but we better get. A defense that can go too deep pretty interchangeably just to keep guys rested if that offense starts performing to that sort of level. Yeah, especially against some of the higher octane attacks in the Big Ten, you know, Ohio State's spread to run. Uh, Wisconsin, just going to run it down your throat, you know, and they're right. going to, you know, keep coming. Purdue, you know, with their kind of unorthodox spread. So, you know, thankfully we don't have Penn State on the schedule this year. Huh. But uh, I was really surprised with Caleb Tanner backing up Luke Gifford at that uh, strong side linebacker spot. I love getting a good pass rusher experience early in his career. Even if he struggles with coverage, just you got to get him out there on the field, you know, turn him loose on a quarterback. And Caleb Tanner is the kind of pass rusher we've desperately missed since uh, Randy Gregory left Lincoln. And I was glad to see that Trey Neal you know, transferred in and managed to lock down a starting spot because it's, you know, it's just nice to have a guy who will be able to quarterback that thing, you know, who's who's been through it for a couple of years instead of, 
you know, having to come in with a new defensive set and then, okay, who's going to, you've had it for a spring and a few weeks of fall ball. Who wants to take over and start, you know, kind of uh, being the leader on that D and telling every, putting everybody where they ought to be and, you know, being that guy in the huddle. And now, now you've got a guy out there who's been doing it for a couple of years and, and uh, hopefully can just take that role and run with it. Yeah, that might cut down on a few alignment, you know, issues, guys being misaligned, and that could be the difference in a couple of close ball games. Um, I remember against Iowa in 15 when Nate Gary got ejected. The very next play, Aaron Aaron Williams, when he was a freshman, missed his run fit. Kanzari was off to the races. If it would have been a more experienced safety back there, that doesn't happen. So, yeah, getting guys aligned properly and understanding run fits and coverage, that's that's going to pay off at some point with Trey Neal. Well, uh, anything else that uh, we need to discuss or, or you know, cover that uh, I, th- I think we've done a pretty good, pretty solid uh, uh, outing here as far as, uh, you know, we did the cross-examination and we've, you know, followed that up with some fantastic conversation of some – some news that we learned over the week, uh, or, or I should say over the weekend. And like I said, at the beginning of the show, we're less than a week away from Husker football, so there's a lot of reason to be excited and, and be happy. But did, did we miss anything, guys? Just happy to be ready to put Akron in their place, baby. Exactly. Let's get it started. Let's I'm, roll. Kick the tires. Light the fires. Uh, I'm looking forward to our uh, next episode. We're going to have another one for you before that Akron game, of course. Uh, we're hoping to sit down with someone from HustleBelt.com, which is the the, the Max uh, SB Nation site, and, and we'll visit with somebody who covers the, the uh, Akron Zips. And we'll also be uh, in that episode joined by our feelers leader, as I mentioned, John Johnston. Whether he likes it or not, he's going to sit down with us and uh, and sit through this cross-examination. So that is all happening uh, in the days to come. But uh, we, again, want to extend uh, our deepest gratitude to Andy Ketterson for joining us uh, in his, not only is it his Skype debut, but is also his Five Heart Podcast debut. So we appreciate you, Andy. And uh, for uh, Haas Reuter and Andy and myself, Greg Mahochko, Thank you so much for listening and uh, sharing on social media and and, uh, subscribing and and leaving that rate and review on your favorite podcast app. You can uh, join us in the conversation at uh, the number 5 Heart Podcast on Twitter, or you can write out the word 5 Heart Podcast on Facebook. And we remind you this week and every week that 5 Heart is all the heart you need. Go Big Red. Win the damn game. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. Jittery Monkey.